Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 21, I believe it is. And uh, we're, we're continuing to say in a series that we started last week called A Weary World Rejoices. A Weary World Rejoices. And the, the, the heartbeat of this series really is that we live in a world that at times uh, realistically, realistically is but can feel incredibly dark. Uh, Pastor Gill started our series last week kind of reminding us and setting the stage that where we are in the world today is really not too dissimilar from when uh, Jesus first arrived on the scene. The Bible says that 400 years of, of silence was the scene Jesus arrived on. That for 400 years, the Spirit of God was not at work like it once was upon the earth, and there was this period of, of darkness. Uh, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated, he proved his love in that while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, at the right time, God sent his Son. Come on, help me finish it. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he that he gave his one and only, one and only begotten Son. And in, in the same way, we're, we're living in days that, well, they can feel dark for multiple reasons. Uh, it is no surprise to anybody, but we're coming out of a year and a half, close to two years at this point of a global pandemic. Uh, whatever you feel or whatever your opinion is on the topic, uh, you cannot escape that that has been the reality that we have been in culturally and globally. Uh, we, we, we've been in, in the last year and a half, two years of incredible political and racial unrest and division. Uh, there's uncertainty in our economy, which, which, by the way, is just the cherry on the icing on the cake to the fact that we live in a fallen, broken world that has been infected and affected by sin. And it doesn't matter how much you love Jesus and how many times you sing the chorus and the bridge with your hands lifted really high, we all feel the weight and the effect of that, do we not? And Christmas is a celebration. It is the recognition that in the midst of a weary world, that there was rejoicing because hope was born. The Bible says this, that hope, it is the expectation of good. Hope is not just wishful thinking. My, my kids, uh, I don't know if someone spilled the beans or they've been peeking, uh, but we, we got our kids a big trampoline for the backyard, which by the way, if you really want to love your campus pastor and you have tools and time, please feel free to come to my house and set that up in my backyard because uh, I am so not looking forward to doing that on December 23rd in, in secret at some point so my kids can't see but um, they're, they're hoping, ah, we hope, we hope we get a trampoline. That's not, that's not Bible hope. Bible hope is not wishful thinking. Bible hope is a confident expectation of good. I have a confident expectation of the good that I know will come. The Bible says that when, when, when the world felt dark, there was rejoicing because, well, a, a weary world found hope in the person of Jesus. Which, by the way, is just a great time for me to highlight uh, what, what Spencer was saying. Our, our, our Christmas Eve services are a great opportunity for you to invite someone to church. 
I think about this almost every single Sunday that uh, I stand with her by myself or with my wife on the front row and I lift my hands and I worship. And I'm so thankful for our ability to gather like this corporately and worship and lift up the name of Jesus. But I am not blind to the fact that we are in the midst of a city and a community outside of these walls who are desperate for the love and the life of Jesus that we have, that, that, that we're holding. You know, you are a carrier of something, by the way, that we are all holding. We're carriers of this hope. And I would just encourage you, it is a great opportunity to invite someone to church on Christmas Eve. Brandon, what if they say no? Join the club. I literally invited someone to church yesterday. Uh, have you ever thought something was going really well? And abruptly, it no longer was going very well. I was at a social function someone invited us to, and this guy found out I was a pastor, and so he was asking me about, you know, church and asking me about, you know, what sermon I'm going to preach. And he made this statement. I've been in church a lot, and I've, there's not a single sermon you can preach that I, I haven't already heard. And I said, bro, you should come tomorrow because I'm preaching one. I bet you've never heard it before. And I invited him to church, and I thought, this is going well. Open door, open opportunity. And the moment I said, you should come tomorrow, he goes, Nope, not happening, hard pass. And he turned around and like immediately exited the conversation. I thought that was not the response I was expecting. But uh, man, like even if someone says no and it doesn't go well, here's the reality. Uh, The Bible says our responsibility is to sow seed and to water and God's the one who brings the increase. Response and increase and results are not what our business is. Our business is to faithfully sow seed and to water, to take every shot that's in front of us and trust God with, with, with the results. I'd, I'd encourage you to invite someone, but we're in this series, Weary World Rejoices, and that's what we're talking about. The fact that we have hope in the name of Jesus and everything he's done. And Pastor Gil started the series last week uh, looking at uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and talking about how Mary was a carrier, most, most literally, of this hope. Mary's the one who in her womb was conceived the Messiah, the hope of all of humanity. And she was a carrier of this hope. And Pastor Gil talked about how in, in the same way, every single one of us, God wants to use us. You, you, you do know that, right, that God actually really does want to use your life. In a significant, eternally impacting way, God wants to use your life. God has something that he wants to do in and through you. You are a carrier of hope. And Pastor Gil talked about last week how when we humble our heart like Mary did, we're opening the door for God to reveal to us what he has in store and how he wants to use us. And, and I want to continue in that thought today. And I want to talk about having eyes that are open to see what God is doing in our midst. If you have a Bible, like I said, go with me to Luke chapter 2. I believe I said verse 21. That would be inaccurate. Go with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And so we're going to start. We're going to read a a passage. And we're going to look at two different characters today. Uh, The first one is a man named Simeon. And the second one is a woman named Anna. Both of them had eyes that saw something, eyes that beheld something. They were living outside of their time. We'll we'll get to that momentarily, but they were living outside of their time and they saw something that that most people around them did not see. And and I want to kind of ask the question today, what, what can we glean from them to help us in a very similar way live a life that have eyes that are wide open to see what God is doing in our midst? So With that being said, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, I'm reading out the New King James Version. It says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And he was a just and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him in, uh, the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother uh, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said, Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon uh, prophesying what would be of this young boy, this, this, this young baby, the, the Messiah. Now, verse 36, um, exiting stage left is Simeon and entering stage right is Anna. And it says, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. 84 years, this woman has been without her husband. And in these 84 years, the Bible says, who did not depart from the temple. Uh, many scholars believe that she had a, a, a room or a place on the property that she actually lived in, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. If you're taking notes or you care uh, to log this away in your uh, memory somewhere, uh, the title of the sermon today that I want to preach is a sermon that I've titled this, Eyes Wide open, eyes wide open. And again, what I want to talk about today is really more of a question to this. Do you have eyes currently that are opened to see what God is doing in your life and in our midst? I don't know about you, uh, but I've missed things before that were happening right in front of my face. You ever missed something before that's happening literally right in front of your face and you, you just missed it, you're, you're not aware of it? Uh, this past Tuesday, December the 7th, my, my wife and I, uh, uh, Pastor Jenny, if you don't know her, my wife and I, uh, we acknowledged, let me be clear, we acknowledged we didn't celebrate because we celebrate our wedding anniversary, not our dating anniversary, uh, but we acknowledged that uh, on December 7th, 18 years ago, which is so long ago, uh, we, we started dating. Uh, full, full disclaimer, in case someone is doing the math, uh, my wife and I, we were high school sweethearts, which I will say before I move on, uh, if you're in high school or you're in middle school or you're a parent of a high school or middle schooler, uh, my philosophy is uh, do what I say, not as I did, because I would not recommend dating in middle school or high school. Uh, I think there is so much wisdom in, in, uh, in not dating in, in middle school and high school. And if you actually really want to know kind of my, my thoughts on that, um, I could in like 60 seconds with one question, two observations, I think help you to see that it's really not the wisdom of the Lord uh, to be dating in that season of life. However, a young man who didn't have wisdom, uh, we dated through high school and uh, ended up getting married a few, few years after. But 
I, I posted on social media, you know, 18 years ago, we started dating, and uh, I posted that Jenny really gets all the credit, and she honestly does. She gets all the credit, because this has been our relationship. Uh, we met at a youth camp, which, by the way, you know my position, so parents, please keep sending your kids to youth camp. I don't want anyone to be like, nope, you're not going to that, kid, that guy's camp anymore. You're going to come home betrothed. That's not happening. Uh, but we met at a youth camp and we, we rode on, on the bus ride home and we, we just sat there and talked for probably two, three hours and um, I could not see what was happening to the point that I'll never forget pulling in the church parking lot and she looked at me and she goes, so do you want my phone number or what? I'm like, actually, that, that, that'd be amazing. And um, probably like three, three months later, we were uh, hanging out and in, in like fashion, December 7th, it was the day she looked at me. We were on my parents' back deck sitting there talking. And she looked at me and she goes, so are you going to ask me to be your girlfriend or what? And that, that, that's how, how we started dating. It, I was blind to the fact that something was happening and that there was obvious uh, action that needed to, to be taken. Uh, the reality is that I, I guess I kind of get it honest because I was not allowed to date in high school. Uh, we had like a, like a rule that I was not allowed to date. And um, I just kind of thought my parents were being really lenient because I was dating in disobedience and they never said anything. And as God is my witness, we were in premarital counseling. My dad, who's our senior pastor, married us. And in premarital counseling, I'm kind of like telling this story. And my dad goes, wait a minute. We thought you were just friends that whole time. And I'm like, where in the world were you living? Uh, like you were obviously, your eyes were not wide open. And and the reality is I can't, I can't give, give my, my, my parents too much grief because uh, many of us, we live this way. We, we miss what God is doing literally right in front of us. See, here, here's my conviction. Here's my belief that right here, right now, today, God is actually doing a lot in your life. That right here, right now, real time, that God is at work. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms, that God, his eye does not sleep and it does not slumber. In other words, God is not at rest. That's why we can rest. God is at work right now. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12, God says, behold, I'm watching over my word to ensure that it comes to pass. There is a purpose and a plan that God has spoken over your life. There is a purpose and a plan that God has prophetically spoken that is at work on the earth right now. And the Bible says, behold, God, he is watching over. He is attentive to his word to ensure that it continues to move forward and it comes to pass. Right here, right now, God is at work more than you and I probably even realize this is why there's verses that, like James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, which parallels Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, that, that says this, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing or seeing or being aware that even in the midst of those, that God is working them for our good. That God's actually using them to build and to establish and, and to, to help us become more of who God has called us to be. This makes Romans 8.28 make a whole lot of sense when we read that, Behold, God, he works all things. Someone say all things. God works all things together for the good of those who, who, who love him. God is at work right now in your life. Even if you're here and you're like, bro, I've never even given my life to Jesus. Honestly, I'm not even sure how I feel about the whole church thing. I will tell you, God, even when you are not aware of it right now, he is doing something. He's at work in your, 
your midst. But, but it's a big deal that we see that, and it's a big deal that our eyes are attentive to that, and I'll tell you why. Because so much of the purpose and plan that God has for your life, so much of what God desires to do in your life, in your midst, so much of the fulfillment of it is predicated on you and I coming into agreement and participation with it. This is Luke chapter two. Last week, Pastor Gil was preaching and, and the, the story concludes like this. Mary says, let it be according to your word. Oh, make no mistake about it. You and I, we don't have the ability in and within ourselves to, to make God's purpose and plan come to pass. This is Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is what, where, where Mary goes, uh, actually, I've never even been with a man before. How could I be pregnant with? And he goes, oh, the spirit of God will overshadow you. It'll be a God thing. Yet still, Mary says, let it be according to your word. Why? Because what God wants to do in your life what God is right now actively doing in you, it requires your agreement. It requires your participation. What, what does it say in Hebrews 12, 11, One of my favorite and least favorite verses all at the same time. It says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise the stirring of God. Don't despise the correction and the molding and the shaping and the readjusting of God because for all those who are willing, someone say willing, those who, all those who are willing to be trained by it, all those who are not stubborn and hard-headed but are willing to humbly be trained by it, to, to, to recognize it and see it and come into agreement with it and participate, for all those it will yield within them the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, so my, my question is this morning, can you see it? Or, or do you have eyes that you can see right now what God is doing in your life? Can you see right now what God's up to in, in your home with your family? Can you see right now what God's trying to do in your heart with your character? Can you see right now what God is doing in our church community and in our midst? Can, do you have eyes that can see right now what God is doing on the earth so that you have the opportunity and the ability to come and do agreement with it and, and to participate with it? I don't really know how necessary that is. Well, to, 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 to each his own, I guess. But if I'm reading my Bible correctly, the book of John, I believe it's chapter four, tells us from the life of Jesus, which by the way, Jesus did come so that we can be forgiven of all of our sins and so that we can have life and that is true. But the Bible also says Jesus came to give us an example, a pattern to follow. We would do well, my friends, if we followed the pattern and the example that Jesus has set. And if I'm reading my Bible correctly, the book of John chapter four, Jesus says, my food what nourishes me and fills me from the end. My food is to do the will of God and to finish his work. In other words, you know what that tells me? That tells me that the fulfillment and the joy and the satisfaction and, and that thing that my soul is longing for actually can't be found in zeros in a bank account. It actually can't be found in achievement and status. It actually can't be found no matter how big what I'm building ends up getting. It actually can't be found in just 
good times, it's only found in fulfilling that thing that God put me here on this earth to do. Thus, my mind goes once again to the importance of saying, well, God, if that's the case, if, if I really want to get off this hamster wheel of going from thing to thing to thing to thing, looking for the thing that will fulfill and nourish my soul, God, I need eyes that can see with clarity. What are you doing in my life right now? God, what is it that you've, what have you put me here, here on earth for? Which, which let me, this is not in the notes, but give, give me a second. Sometimes we think about that question, God, what am I here for? And we think about it like holistically, like for our whole life. But I, I don't know, what if we just ask this question, God, what am I doing here in this season? God, I, I don't really know, and maybe it's not for me to know the overall giant picture and plan for my whole life. But God, I'm in, I'm in my third year of college and I'm, I'm dealing with this and with that. And God, what are you trying to do in this season? I know I'm not at the destination right now, but God, in, in this season, what is it that you've called me to do that I can come into agreement with and participate with that will help me to find the fulfillment you've promised and you say is found in, 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 in your will? How do we have eyes to see? I want to look this morning at three characteristics that I see in the life of Simeon and in the life of Anna that I think gives us, if you will, the blues clues to to a life with eyes wide open. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. And it's simply this, a life that is devoted to God. A life that is devoted to God. Luke chapter 2 verse 25 says this, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, jump real quick, Luke 2, 37, speaking of Anna, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but for 84 years, Serve the Lord with fasting and prayer night and day. What I see in both Simeon and Anna is that they had a heart that was devoted to God. Speaking of Simeon, that word just, it means that he was upright. It, it means that he had character. It means that he cared more about being right with God than he did about being right in petty arguments. It, it means that he, he feared God and honored God. He, he had a reverence for God to the point that he said, God, I want my whole life to just be aligned with, with you. He was a man who, who was just and, and devout. We see Anna, she for 84 years, her husband died, this season ends, and she goes, well, God, I don't know what to do other than I'm gonna devote myself to your house and I'm gonna serve you night and day with prayer and, and with fasting. Can, can, can I ask the question, on the scale of devotion to God, where do you fall these days? Do, do we really have lives that are devoted to God? Be, because what, what I found of, of myself and of many people is that often, often while we have deep desire for God, we don't have real devotion to God. That we, we live lives that are often distant and distracted because again, we have deep desire for God. That's why we keep coming back. 
That's, that's why we have, you know, this, this compass that we've, we've put a stake in the ground. I'm, I'm not moving from this. And, but, but we don't have real, 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 real devotion. I'll never forget growing up, my, my dad, Pastor Gill, was always kind of an, an, an enigma to me. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because my dad grew up playing sports. Uh, sports were like his whole life. He played football all growing up. Uh, he, he wrestled. He did water polo. Um, he was like way cooler than me, to, to be honest. I, I remember in high school, I started like working out and lifting weights. And I was so pumped about like how, I don't even know what it was. And if I did remember what it was, I wouldn't tell you because it'd be embarrassing. But I remember being like, yeah, dad, I benched this much today. And asking him, he's like, well, I said, well, how, how much did, did you bench in high school? And I remember he's like, you ever seen my Letterman jacket? Yeah. You know that big patch that says 300 club? Yeah. He said, it was more than 300. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's embarrassing. Um, but I mean, he like sports were like his, like his life, but it was always an, an enigma to me because growing up, I was really into sports, but my dad like was never interested. Like we, like we didn't watch games together. He, any conversation we had about sports, it was because I could tell like, Hey, I'm, I care about you. So I want to connect with you. But, and, and it always kind of bugged me and bothered me. So I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I thought you were like all about sports until I started getting older and I realized, Oh, it's because sports have transitioned from being your life to a part of your life. Why is it that a lot of us, we treat God the, the way that Pastor Gill treat, treats sports? He's a part of our life. He's just not the center of our life. I mean, like, like yeah, like I do love God and I do have deep desire for God when it's convenient, when I have time when it doesn't interfere with the other things that I'm really devoted to. Well, I, how, how do you know I'm not really devoted? Or how do I tell? Well, the Bible goes, here's a really clear like, equation. Matthew 6, 21 says that wherever your treasure is, there your devotion lies. So if, if you just want to do a quick math equation, it's like, well, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where, where are my thoughts and my energy? And one plus one plus one equals that. That's where my, that's where my devotion lies. And, and, and what I see with, with so many people, including myself, is that while we have deep desire for God, we often live lives that are distant and distracted from him because we don't have real devotion to him. God, you're a part of my life when it fits in, when it's easy, and when it's convenient. But God, there, there's other things that are really the center and the core. And all, all I'm trying to point out, all I want you to see is the reality is you will never be able to be sensitive to the spirit of God enough to hear his voice. You'll never be able to be sensitive and soft and humble enough before God to really have eyes that are open to see what he's doing, to see what he's up to right in front of your eyes without real, real devotion to God. Here's, here, here's Simeon and Anna, people who had real devotion and because of it, at a time in, in Israel's history where the Messiah in literal like actual form is, is coming onto the planet. The thing that they've been waiting and hoping and believing, God's gonna do it. The majority of them missed it. But not Simeon and not Anna because what we see, at least one characteristic, is there was devotion. Number two, you can jot this down. My second observation is this. They didn't just have devotion for God, but they had a heart full of the word and they had understanding. They had a heart full of the word and, and of understanding. But Pastor Gill, in study uh, for, for this message, he, he sent me this resource, which was like one of the best resources I've ever read. It's like a Christmas study by, by a man named Rick Renner. 
And one of the things that Rick Renner brings out is that uh, historians and the, the, uh, theologians, scholars agree that Simeon was a man who in his day was revered as the, the greatest scholar and theologian of, of, of his day. That, that what is agreed upon about Simeon is that it was believed that he had an anointing. Anointing just means a pouring out of God's spirit, that he had, he had a pouring out of God's spirit for the purpose of understanding the scripture and being able to discern the times. Here's what it says in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 25 of, of Simeon. Luke 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a just and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. There, there was something in him, we, we read later, that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that his eyes would literally see the Messiah. But he had an understanding not just of what prophetic words and promises said, but seemed to have an understanding of the scripture to a point where he had revelation to discern the times. Because I have understanding here, I have the ability to discern what's happening here in, in front of me. The, the same can be said about Anna. It's pretty interesting. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse, verse 28, uh, when Anna comes onto the scene, it says this, Luke 2.28, when we get there, Luke 2.28 says in my Bible, which is right in front of me and I can definitely use, it says, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. That word give thanks, what it, what, what it translates is it's actually a coming in agreement and a mutual confession. So, so here, here's the scene. Anna, because she's a woman who has a heart full of God's word, yet she has understanding enough to discern and see the times. The Bible says she sees what's going on with Simeon. She sees the, the, the blessing and the words that Simeon is speaking over this child. And at that instant, she runs over and she comes into mutual agreement and confession. This is the one we've been, we've been waiting for. One of the things that I, I will never apologize about, uh, I've actually got uh, like made fun of quite a bit because like I'm that guy, but I'll, I'll just never apologize about it, that um, the Bible's a big deal. We are a church that we talk about maybe more than anything else, our need to be people that we give ourselves to God's word. And I will never back off that because here's the reality. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says that all of God's word, cover to cover, front to back, that it's inspired of the Holy Spirit. That this is not just a book. It's not just a good book. It's not just like the Bible and John Maxwell's latest thought. It's not just a good book. It's the actual living, breathing words of God that the Bible says is useful because God's inspired it that way to teach us and correct us and mold us and shape us. Verse 17 says, to the point that we come to full maturity, there's a lot of church people. I'm not talking about you, just someone else. I've been in church my whole life. Why are you still wearing diapers then? Well, be, because there's a need for God's word to bring me to full maturity so that I can walk in all that God has for me. Hebrews 4.12, I was telling Jenny this yesterday. She was getting a cup of coffee and, and I said, babe, I love the Bible. Like I love a good friend. And sometimes I hate the Bible. Like I hate a good friend. Because, like, God uses it to say stuff to me that I don't want to hear. 
He uses it to correct me and challenge me and, and bring my, my priorities and perspective back into alignment. And, and God had spoke something yesterday in my reading that I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk, but, but, but it's needful. Hebrews 4.12 says that we don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us in that it is a living document that cuts us open and begins to do surgery in our heart. But, but as much as we talk about being people of the word, like you got to do your, back when I was, you know, a youth pastor years and years ago, I used to say, we don't do our monthly devotions or our yearly devotions. We do our daily devotions. And the crowd went wild, like in my dreams. Um, and like, like, we're all about like, yeah, like you got to read your Bible, but you know, we don't talk about a ton and, 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 and we should, that we don't just need to be people that know scripture. We need to be people that have understanding of scripture. There is a difference. You do know that, right? Like, I, I, I love our kids' ministry, and, and my daughter, she, she's doing so awesome. She's, she's coming home, and she's memorizing all these verses. And she knows different, but, but does she really have, have understanding of them quite yet? Here's what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young, a, a young disciple and a young leader in the faith. He says, be diligent. One, one translation says to study. This translation says to, to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, Paul is speaking to Gentiles about, about Israel. People who were not a part of Israel, who had come to faith in Christ. And he says, for I do not desire, brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Listen, listen to the reason he gives. Lest you should become wise in your own opinion. He goes, you know, that blindness in part, it happened to God's people. God's people who probably had more of the Torah memorized than I will in my entire life, many of them, who knew the scripture, who knew the word, Yet the Bible says they didn't have full understanding of this word. He goes, I don't desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant. Or, or let's say this way, without understanding of this mystery, lest you become wise in your own opinion. Man, are we not intoxicated by our own opinion? We, you don't think so? Go, go check your Facebook history. Man, are we, we drunk on our own opinion. Well, you know, the way I see it, my perspective, well, pastor so-and-so, I, listen, I, I appreciate all the pastors. I'm one of them. I appreciate all the opinions and perspectives, but you know what I care about more than anything? But what does God say? But, but, but God, what does your word actually say? And Holy Spirit, what is the understanding that I need to get from it? Because here's what happens. The, the, Paul, Paul writes and says, What's happened in part is that they, they didn't really like have understanding of this mystery. And so they, they became wise in their own opinions and perspectives and interpretations that let's just contextualize it, that make me feel more comfortable and give me more, more margin for convenience and excuse. And, and, and what happened is they became blind. Why do we often have eyes that are blind to what God is really trying to say and what God is really trying to do and what God is, is doing in, in, in our life, in our church, on the earth right now because we're so intoxicated by our own opinion. 
And Simeon, Simeon and Anna, what theologians and scholars and historians and people much smarter than me all agree on is that they, these are two people that they had great understanding of the scripture. But you know, it wasn't just their, their intellect. I want to draw you back to what was said of Simeon, that he had an anointing. Someone said, say anointing. Again, that's just a really big, big church word for there was a pouring out of God's spirit on him. And he, he, he was believed in this day to have an anointing to understand God's word and to discern the times. This is, this is why scholars believe that he was a man who was living outside of his time. Outside of his time because the day of Pentecost had, had not yet come. And can I tell you that what Simeon lived in an anointing, a pouring of God's spirit upon him for, for wisdom and understanding in the scripture and a discerning of times. Can I tell you that's available to every single one of us today? Le- leads me to, to just my third and concluding thought that the, the characteristic I see these, these people have in common is that they were living a spirit-filled life. Here's what I mean by that. They were living a life that was freshly filled with, empowered by, and led by, not, not themselves, the Spirit of God. Luke, Luke 2.25, listen to what it says. It says, I know we've read it like a hundred times, but it says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Next verse, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. I love this, verse 27. So he came by the Spirit. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he he picked him up in his arms and well, we could continue reading. Do do, do you notice something about this man? That he was living with the Spirit of God upon him. He he was living, this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, we won't read it, but he says, don't don't be drunk with wine. And by the way, he's not just saying, like, like, limit yourself. No, he's he's saying, don't get drunk and intoxicated on, on things that are, things that are passing and temporary. You, you might not be getting drunk on wine, but, but we get drunk on a lot of things, do we not? An overindulgence in fill in the blank, a preoccupation and fascination. You, you can fill in the blank, but Paul goes, don't do that, but rather be being filled with the Spirit of God. How, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand because it's rhetorical, like you have filled your vehicle up with gas more than once in the last year. All of us. I mean, you might not have any more money, but, but you did it. But, but, but it's because we, we get it, don't we? Yeah, like I can't, I, I can't sit in my car and just drive forever and not have to stop and, and, and fill it again. I heard a pastor say this, he said, you know, when it comes to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it is a, it's a one-time anointing, but a daily filling. It's, it's, 
We don't need to every single day go, oh God, anoint me, fill me with your, but, but we do need to come every day and go, God, I need to get freshly filled. God, just like I go and I put gas in my car, I need a fresh filling of your spirit. There's a lot of spirit-filled believers living without very much spirit these days. Why? Well, again, because we, we, have, we have a deep desire for God. We just lack devotion. And so we live distant, distracted lives, preoccupied, consumed with so many other things that we, we end up living kind of dry. And, and so what, what isn't happening because, because we're dry is we don't have like, we don't have like Simeon did, a fresh word from God. Like if, and I'm not going to, so nobody like pack up your purse and like run. If I were to be like, all right, everyone, let's get in the line and let's one by one come, 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 come grab the mic and share, share with the church this morning. The, 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 the word that you have. What, what's God saying? What's God doing right now? If we really did that, you would pack your purse and run. Do, do you have a fresh word? Or, or, or are we living like on old stale bread? See, because Simeon, he had, he had, a, he, he, he had a life where, where the spirit of God was upon him. He was freshly filled. He was anointed. And, and so the Holy Spirit revealed to him. You know, I, I forgot to mention this in the first service, but this, this Rick Renner study was so good. And one of the things he brought out is that the, the original Greek language, which if I tried to pronounce all of those words, that would in your mind discredit everything I've said to this point because it would be an epic disaster. But but the, the original language, what, what it really kind of depicts is that Simeon and the Holy Spirit, they did business together. Like, like they, they were in business together. And, and, and so they had a lot of interaction. And in the midst of their close proximity and continual business they were doing together, the Holy Spirit would show him things and tell him things and speak to him things. Thus, Simeon was a man who had the Spirit of God in his life, but he also was living with a fresh word from God. This is what God spoke to me. You know, many people believe that Simeon, he must have been like 700 years old and he's been waiting. But, but Rick Renner brought out that actually we don't know that he was that old. Because it doesn't say in your last day, he just had a word that, hey, before you die, at some point in your life, you're going to see him with your eyes. So he, right time, right place, by coincidence, no, he was led by the Spirit that day. It, it, it's, it's like if I were to tell you, you're going to see Jesus in physical, literal form in the TKK Walmart before you die. Like, but like what, what aisle? What, what section? But like on what day though? Like, do, do I need to get, I mean, someone else can drop off the kids if he's going to be there in the morning. Like, Simeon was led by the Spirit, wasn't he? You, you want to know how to get in the right place at the right time? It's not rubbing a lucky rabbit's foot. It's being led by the Spirit of God. He was led by the Spirit of God. Right place, right time. You, you know what we can really say, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, that, that Simeon and Anna had in common is they were living a life that they were waiting upon God. 
And I, I think maybe the conclusion, the takeaway is that if we want eyes to see what God is doing in our life and what God is doing in our midst so we can come into agreement with it and we can participate it and we can one day go home to be with Jesus, being able to say, God, I did everything you put me on this planet to do and all oh, the fulfillment that I lived with along the way is we got to wait on God. Okay, well, um, that, that great, great sermon, kind of like the guy yesterday that was like, nope, not doing that hard pass. I'm going to have to go. I'm hard pass. I don't, I don't have time for that. Can, can I tell you, you actually do have time for it? And for many of us, I, 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 would, I would like to propose to you that you're a professional waiter. Like you, you're actually incredibly good at waiting. You, you just need to redirect it. You know how, how I know that, that we're good at waiting? Because in almost every social circle that I'm in, young and old alike, I see this. What are you doing? I'll just, just check Facebook. Didn't you check like 30 seconds ago? Yeah, just, you know, just, I'm just waiting upon Facebook. See if there's a new update. If anyone liked or commented on my post, seeing if uh, there's anything else that I can post to really, you know, stir things up, you know what I mean? Just, like maybe Facebook's not your social media of choice, but I'll just say that I'm, raise both hands, I'm guilty that I'm pretty good at waiting on social media. Some of us, maybe it's not social media, you're just a professional at waiting on emails. Man, that phone, that computer buzzes, and you could be in the Olympics how fast you get to it. You're, you're, you're just good at waiting. Some of us, we, we wait on things like Netflix and Hulu to see if the newest episode's been posted and if like, <laughs> I, I feel so so silly saying this. I was so frustrated this past week. I've been watching a show and it's really good and season one ended and I went online to see when seasons two and I found out that USA canceled it and I wanted to, to curse USA. I'm like, what that was, but like you got me and we, we wait on, all I'm saying is we, we're, we're good at waiting. We're good at waiting. We, we just haven't directed it. And we just haven't made it practical enough to say, no, God, I actually can wait on you. I can live a life that's postured and positioned and aligned to just be attentive to you. I, I had a friend this past week I was talking. And um, by the way, it, it's really good to have friends and people that you give permission to say stuff you don't want to hear. I, I have a friend, I said, hey, um, like I enjoy the friendship and I do care how your Thanksgiving was and what your plans are for Christmas. But more than that, I, I, I really know I need more people in my life that are challenging me and helping me to, to, to be better and who God's called me to be. So like, will you do that? And we're talking and I'm, I'm, I'm so guilty. We're on the phone and I'm, and I'm doing this. Uh-huh, for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm responding to, 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 to something. And, um, and he goes, hey, could, could I share something with you? Yeah. He said, every time we talk, you seem hurried. Every time we talk on the phone, you seem like, like I'm on the clock. You seem hurried. And, and he said, I'm not saying that because it bothers me. He goes, it is kind of rude though. And I'm like, click, 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 send. No, man, totally present right now. And, and he, he said, you know, I'm only saying that because one of the things I asked him, and I said, I, I really want to walk in, in more of God's anointing and 
power in my life. I really want more of what God has for me. And I just, I, and I know maybe your pastor shouldn't tell you this, but I'm like, I just feel kind of stuck in some areas. He said, I'm only, I'm only telling you that you seem hurried because do you know what I think the missing ingredient is for you right now? I'm guessing that if you're hurried with me, you're probably hurried with God. He said, I'm guessing that if you're hurried with me, probably a common denominator like in your life. He said, I don't know, I just want to propose to you that maybe if you were less hurried, if you were more present, that you might do a better job at having continual communion with Jesus and a continual presence and flow of of his person and power. I think you're pretty good at waiting. I think you're a professional I just think that we need to redirect the focus. And here's what I wholeheartedly believe. As we redirect the focus of our waiting, God's going to open your eyes. Here's what's going to happen for some of you. That situation and circumstance that you are almost bitter in your soul about because it's so difficult and hard and painful and frustrating, God's going to open your eyes and he's going to show you what he's doing in the midst of it. And it's going to give you the perseverance and the ability to keep moving forward. There are some of you that you, you've been so disheartened and so disillusioned by something that's happened. And I believe that as we wait upon God, God's going to open your eyes. You're going to see the presence and the power, what God's doing in you and in your midst. And it's going to bring hope and courage back to your heart again. I, I believe there are those that you are searching and you are groping and you are looking for a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And I believe that as you begin to wait upon, God's going to open your eyes you're going to see what God is doing and how he's leading you. Here's the Bible says, when you get fresh vision from God, Proverbs 29 and 18, it gives you the ability to keep moving forward. Habakkuk 2, write the vision on the wall so you can run after it. Why don't I feel like I can just run? Because your eyes, well, they're not wide open like they need to be. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And I'm going to pray for you because if I don't, I'm just going to keep on talking. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.